Welcome to Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in every context of Scripture for His exaltation in the Church and proclamation to the world. This podcast is a part of the Doctrinal Discipleship Ministry and a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Christ in Context. My name is Kevin, your host, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. Um, we are finishing out this mini-series of just concerned about the Word of Faith movement. And so today we are joined with John St. Martin. Uh, I got to meet him through the Society of Reformed Podcasters, and um, he's a pastor and a church planter. And so it's really exciting for me to interview him because that's kind of the route that I'm planning on going uh, later on in my life. And uh, yeah, we're just going to wrap up this miniseries just looking at things from a pastoral concern, pastoral perspective. And so I hope that you enjoy this interview and that you've enjoyed this little mini-series. John, thank you for being on the show. And hey, why, don't you, be here. why don't you tell us about yourself, um, about your time in ministry, um, you know, how, just your life story, I guess. Sure. Really, yeah. <laughs> really brief. Yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, Society of Reform Podcasters has been a Good little encouragement for us too, um, with our podcast. But uh, yeah, so I grew up in Minneapolis suburbs, uh, Brooklyn Park. It's the name of the city. If people are familiar, um, youngest of seven kids in a Catholic home, um, and f- for the most part, I feel like I lived a pretty typical life for a kid in my area. I went to public school, didn't really have much engagement with church outside of. Uh, what my parents forced me to go to. I didn't particularly uh, enjoy that aspect of my life, uh, which wasn't a big deal to me at the time. Um, Yeah. And so um, anyways, ended up graduating high school uh, and wanting to pursue a business degree and uh, went off to college at Minnesota State University in Mankato. Uh, It's a little college town, about an hour south of the Twin Cities. And uh, prior to going there, um, the short story is I was confronted with a, uh, a proposition that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And uh, there were some things in my life before that, that God really used that statement to uh, kind of convict me and uh, begin, you know, this change in my heart. And so in high school, I was a uh, my best friend came from a very uh, faithful kind of Baptist Christian home. I went to summer camp with him a couple of times. I remember that being impactful, though didn't change my life. Um, just before that, or around the same time, my brother kind of became radically saved into a Pentecostal church. Uh, so there was these little touch points in my life that um, that really began to. Uh, come to fruition is these seeds sown earlier on. And so uh, before moving off to college, then I actually started reading the New Testament on my own. I pulled a Bible out my brother gave me. And, um, you know, it was just my life was still sinful and uninterested in going to church or anything like that. But uh, right, this is God drawing me to himself. And so I uh, started reading the Bible. By the time I finished the New Testament, I had relocated to college and uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, we figured we'd go to a Bible study at some point. And uh, I stumbled across uh, 
a table in the student union, uh, you know, advertising their Bible study for that night. And, um, and so we went and the, the short story is uh, any campus minister at that point could have easily explained the very basics of the gospel to me and uh, reaped the harvest, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, God had been doing this work. And so, uh, so that's what happened. We, we, we part, became part of this campus ministry, uh, with, met regularly with the campus minister there. Uh, he was quick to, uh, you know, explain to me repentance and faith. And, um, and yeah, so I really got plugged into that ministry for a long time. Uh, in my college years, I became the student president of it. I helped lead the, the worship time during our Bible study and those kind of things. But um, that's we'll get into that ministry in particular. That's That was a, uh, a very small, independent, uh, Pentecostal, uh, almost mm-hmm. cultish um, yeah, ministry. But uh, so fast forward in a couple of years. Um, we started reading and uh, reading can be dangerous, right? And, uh, you know, reading books by, you know, R.C. Sproul and and, mm. uh, and different things and, and finding monetism.com. Yeah. And, of course, I think everybody's intri- entrance into systematic theology is Wayne Grudem. So I remember going to the park with my, uh, I don't know, we might have been married at that point, uh, <laughs> and reading systematic theology together right. at the park. Right. It's just kind of uh, funny times. Uh, so anyways, uh, we... we Certainly had a crossroads with that ministry and and eventually uh, joined a local church. There was a, a Presbyterian church in town, PCA, uh, and had some friends that kind of made their way that way. And, uh, you know, we kind of bounced between that and more of a Reformed-leaning Baptist church for a while uh, until the birth of our first daughter was pending. And so then I read every single thing I could have possibly read on baptism and covenant theology, uh, <laughs> and eventually, uh, became uh, a Presbyterian. And, um, and so we joined that church, we baptized our daughter. Um, and I was, we were there for probably about five years after college, uh, just serving, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was working, my wife had an accounting degree, we had our kids. Uh, so, I uh, was, was mentored by the pastor there, really felt uh, a, a call to ministry. Uh, he gave me some opportunity to to exercise some gifts, uh, went off to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, and uh, quickly became uh, on the path towards church planting. And so was able to actually come back to our home presbytery, which is Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, and uh, got a call to plant a church in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, we are the only PCA congregation in our state. So it's kind of a the last state of our denomination to not have a church. And so it's kind of fun to be back home, at least culturally or regionally home. And mm-hmm. uh, we're about two years into that plant now. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I remember listening to your show and uh, uh, the first couple episodes hearing about how that's the only city or only state that doesn't have a PCA church in it. And I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. Um, do you want to talk just really quick about your show anything yeah yeah so uh really when i became a church planter got a call to plant uh a couple of other church planters in our denomination reached out to me on facebook just through a chat said hey we like to you know be friends with other planters you know bounce ideas off each other pray for each other and uh pretty quickly i realized there was a lot of people doing that and i thought well let's put together a group so there's a, a group for pca church planters now on facebook uh that has about 400 people in it. Um, and some of them are former planters. Some of them have just served in a church where they were planters, they're ruling elders. They're not even necessarily pastors, but, um, 
but it's been this really encouraging kind of collaborative group. And uh, as that was taking off, I realized, you know, one of the biggest problems with church planting is we have a lack of candidates. And so we wanted to figure out a way to kind of foster future church planters. So we started a podcast, uh, me and another guy in the group, Hunter uh, Brewer, called uh, the Five Points of Church Planting uh, podcast. And so really the we wanted it to be broader than the PCA. We're both PCA church planters, but um, you know, if you go to, you know, your Lifeway bookstore, if those exist anymore and, <laughs> and look for a church planting book, it will be very broadly evangelical, very pragmatic, yeah. very uh, theologically shallow and, and much more just mm-hmm. best practices. And, and those can be really helpful, but what we wanted to do is, uh, is really provide a, a content that's from a reformed and particularly Presbyterian uh, approach to church planting, uh, bring on people who have planted before, network leaders, opportunities to plant, uh, you know, and our, and our podcast is practical. We're, we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, right now the phases of church planting, fundraising and gathering people and those kind of things. But um, planting a reformed church of any stripe is going to be a lot different than planting, you know, a non-denominational megachurch style church. So, so that's kind of the, right. the genesis of the podcast. Uh, we're a few months in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's been fun. So check it yeah. out. Yeah. Definitely check it out. It's great stuff. It's been really encouraging. Um, so we're just going to dive in. Um, I'm just going to ask John a couple questions yeah. and we'll be on our way. So the first question that I've got, um, we got to talk over Facebook a little bit before this, um, about, the church you were in. So just tell us about like your experience before you were into reform theology, um, at this church. And, um, I know for the sake of, uh, confidentiality of this church, you're not going to be using the name of the church or any names of people, which is also exactly what I'm doing. So totally fine. Um, don't, don't feel bad that you, if you're not saying the names of any churches (laughs) or anything, uh, definitely don't want to be bashing on people. This is all for the sake of seeking the truth and uh, glorifying Christ. Um, So yeah, tell us a little bit about your experience at the church, like that you were initially saved in and kind of like what led you away from it and kind of, you know, maybe like what were some of the red flags that you started to see, I guess. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know any better uh, in some ways, right? Like, well, my brother uh, was saved into a Pentecostal church. I told you that. And I mm-hmm. went to his baptism service and, and visited periodically with him. Um, and so some of the things that were happening at this particular church, and, and when I say church, uh, it, this is kind of like a startup campus uh, from one that was at the University of Minnesota. So uh, basically the history of this church is one that's targets college areas and and it's like tries to be on campus they a lot of times will own basically like a frat house and it's kind of like this christian frat if you will uh and so when when i when i got saved through this campus ministry uh the guy was kind of coming down from the twin cities and they were kind of starting here he had been doing that for a while um but i'll say that what was very clear about this campus ministry as they uh, they were very committed. They were very bold, uh, very, um, you know, uh, willing to go out and be engaged and very unapologetic about the Christian faith. So, uh, you know, everybody there read their Bible all the time. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> the great thing, right? Uh, yeah, we, right. Uh, I went out and every Friday night, uh, I would drag a couple guys with me. We'd go do evangelism at the bars, uh, just go stand out in the kind of bar area of the college town and, and talk to people. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so just, you know, pretty like hardcore in some ways, uh, it, given mm-hmm. the landscape of kind of most churches and campus ministries. Um, and, and so there was, there was some good things about that that were formative for me. It was also very kind of a, a legalistic in the sense of they had very particular views of, of dating and, uh, and no drinking. I mean, right. And this is college ministry. Most college mm-hmm. ministries aren't going to encourage you to, to drink anyways, <laughs> but, um, right. uh, or <laughs> they're just trying right. to help you get out of your kind of sin. So they, they were right. very serious about calling people to repentance. And, and so some of that, uh, was a helpful corrective to me. I had been living a a pretty uh, uh, sinful life. So to have somebody be as uh, clear as possible on some of these things mm-hmm. uh, really uh, was helpful at the time. Uh, but you know, like I said, it's it was kind of a, a Pentecostal uh, church, and so you know everything that comes with that. Uh, everybody has to speak in tongues, and you know <laughs> uh, you got to lead worship. Cause that's, you know, intimacy with God through mm. emotional music time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, kind of related to both of those things, uh, culturally, you know, you don't pick up on the stuff till later on, but, uh, right. Because they were serious because they were committed because they were out doing things other people wouldn't do, uh, because they quote unquote had the Holy spirit. Uh, there was an elitism that went along with that. In fact, I remember several times people kind of describing themselves as like the green berets of Christians, you know, like, Oh no. (laughs) uh, Which like that kind of stokes your ego, uh, ego in a, like a godly way, kind of like, yeah, this is what God, you know, we're, we're apostles basically. I mean, they Mm -hmm. wouldn't, I don't know if they would use that language, but basically this is what we see in the book of Acts. We ought to be doing the same things with the same vigor and zeal. And so, um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we always kind of look down our nose at any sort of traditionalism or or uh, non-spirit-filled type things. And so, uh, actually, it's funny. I remember after we left, uh, the first time I realized uh, that there were Lutherans that were Christians. <laughs> it, like, blew my yeah. mind. What? Like, I met a Lutheran who actually believed the Bible. You know, like, yeah, uh, because I had been told so much that all of that was just dead religion and Mm. And really what we needed was uh, a fresh outpouring of this yeah. period or something. Yeah. Yep. Get filled again, you know, all those kind of things. So, yeah. Well, um, I mean, you mentioned you, you guys were doing evangelism. What did evangelism look like back then? And what does it, what does it look like for you now? Uh, okay, so to my shame, it doesn't look very great now. Um, <laughs> it's it's so, difficult in, in your defense. It's really difficult right now. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, so uh, what's funny about, you know, ministries like this, and there's, this is how we kind of ended up getting out of it is, uh, they are necessarily connected to the broader church world. Right. So, uh, basically my evangelism model or training was Ray comforts, living waters, uh, 10 commandments kind of thing. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's pretty good. And, and I'm pretty sure he's, He's at least Calvinist compliant. I don't know that mm-hmm. he's you know made any sort of statements, but those guys are are solid solid guys, and so uh, real clear gospel message, simple, right. um, helpful to engage with people. And so 
So, I mean, it was literally uh, what we would do is we would carry like an eight foot cross down to the bars <laughs> and just stand there with it. Oh, my And gosh. people would come up and talk to us. I mean, uh, of course, there was other times we'd hand out tracks and talk to people, too. But uh, wow. just by being down there, uh, I mean, and you had to leave after people got a couple of drinks and then it would they would start to uh, sin more than <laughs> you would want. Uh, yeah. Well, like pretend to crucify themselves on our cross <laughs> or something, you know, just <laughs> terrible. Uh, so, you know, get down there nine and leave by 11 and talk to, you know, 20, 30 yeah. people. And uh, so, yeah, that was always a, a really encouraging thing. Uh, something that I, I do wish I did more of just that. I don't know these people type evangelism versus probably the other air we're in now, which is, uh, you know, just get to know people and build relationships. And, and you need to do that. But um, clear articulation of the gospel. And it's really like once you've talked to everybody, once everybody knows your pastor or whatever in your circle, how are you going to meet new people? Uh, how are you going to keep making disciples? How are you going to go out and do stuff like that? And eh, I think the short answer is you talk to me, just go talk yeah. to people on the street, meet the cashier or whatever, you know? And so, um, so yeah, that's what that looked like in college. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was kind of fun. So the other, the other Avenue that kind of got us out of that world, uh, was they actually were really big into Christian worldview. Hmm. Um, and so that had two flavors to it. One of them was I'm learning was not great. And that was, uh, they had these worldview weekend seminars and it was basically like, you know, America's this Christian nation and we need to recover. And this was back in 2000. So, uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> anyways, uh, so yeah. like David Barton is one name in particular, that was kind of a leader of that. Um, and so, right. It was broader. Uh, it wasn't Pentecostal. Uh, it was apologetics. Um, and then we got into the truth project because of that. And the truth project was done by a bunch of PCA guys, basically, uh, in the focus on the family. And it was this multi-series DVD going through basically a reformed understanding of the kingdom of God in the world. And so, um, I remember just being enthralled by that. It was like you were sitting in a seminary classroom and Del Tackett was the guy teaching. And, uh, I was like, I want to, I want to go to class like this. And hmm. the leader of the campus ministry was like, this is boring. I fell asleep when I was watching it, <laughs> but that began uh, to stir in me a desire to, to continue to learn and grow. And then every year we would go to a, a place in Colorado called summit ministries, mm -hmm. which is a worldview training thing. Uh, for high school, first year college students. And oh, what do you know? That's all run by uh, you know, Presbyterian people too, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so we had all these random connections. Like they, you know, when you're an independent church, you kind of just grab the things you think are good. Right. right. And a lot of the yeah. things they grabbed were bad jump yeah. of your videos and, you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but there's, you know, when you're, when you're committed to the authority of the Bible, uh, man, you're going to overlap with a lot of real good guys. And yeah. so that was really kind of the, the opening of the door for us to start learning more. Yeah, that's what makes it really, really difficult is sometimes churches like this do really want to grab onto like the truth of the Bible. They want to grab onto good teachers. And then when you listen to the rest of what those good teachers have to say, it's kind of different than other things that you've been hearing in other places. Uh, and so it's almost cherry picking in a way, um, yeah. which is kind of unfortunate. Um, so 
I guess before we kind of get more into the like more about word of faith, like, you know, how would you as a pastor, like counsel someone who might be in this? Like I had in this question or in these questions, something about the new age, which um, you had mentioned before we started recording that you didn't really see a connection um, or hadn't thought of it as a connection. And so um, like, I guess the question is how have you seen the new age impact your congregation or other churches around you? And how do you recommend ministering to people who have been influenced by the new age? And the, the reason why I bring this up is because I have seen um, a growing connection with new age practices and this growing uh, word of faith, like faith healing kind of movement thing. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, what I, I, you know, I'm not a super informed new age scholar or anything, but when I think about that, the way (laughs) that it intersects with our culture and the church, it it makes me think of kind of like mysticism or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just vague spirituality that has to come from your heart or something like that. And, and, and so, yeah, I, you see it in almost every church on some level in terms of the type of spirituality that is being um, regularly fed to people. I, there was an article, somebody should look it up. We should try to put a link out there. It's called, uh, uh, let's see, something about worship music being the new transubstantiation, meaning Whoa. that uh, basically the way that uh you know, the super, you know, emotional, charismatic type worship service is the worship leader is the priest who leads people towards this experience. And it's through that experience that we receive God's grace. Wow. Right. Yeah. And without that, with the music going bad, you broke a string, you ruined it, the spirit can't come or, you know, whatever, right? Like it's an oversimplification and perhaps that's not the most charitable way to think about it, but, uh, it's it does help kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on mm-hmm. really what it is that we're seeking in terms of growth, in terms of what it means to to worship. I mean, so when I think about you know those kind of influences in the church, um, you know, you could even look at something like you know the Jesus Calling devotional, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the most popular devotional kind of just <laughs> how I feel like Jesus is talking to me right now. And yeah. that's just not, that's not historic uh, biblical Christianity. Now the answer to that generally isn't to write articles about how charismatic worship is transubstantiation. I, it's probably yeah. not going to get you a lot of audience, but I, what I really think the answer is, is uh, giving people uh, finding the bridge and giving people th- the proper response. So uh, I'll, I'll use that Jesus calling devotional as an example first edition of that thing's terrible. Uh, <laughs> and it got a lot of criticism and now yeah. it's been, you know, shored up and the publisher doesn't want to be scandalous and they took out all kind of the wacky stuff. And now it's basically just Bible verses. Yeah. Um, that's better. It's not great, but it's better than where it was. Um, and so uh, the bridge to me, to anybody right in the charismatic world or in the, you know, whatever kind of world, they still have some, sense that the Bible is important or authoritative in some way. Right. right? And so that's where we can make the bridge and begin to teach people. So generally speaking, most American Christians don't know what the Bible says, but they think they do. Yeah. 
right? Like, what does the Bible say about marriage? Okay. Oh, well, you know, marriage between a man and a woman for life, you know, right. We'd have some sort of answer, Mm -hmm. some slogan to answer the, you know, worldview questions or the core understanding of our faith, but very few have really studied it. Uh, Very few could tell you what Bible verses to go to very few, uh, have had to be thoroughly convinced that that's actually what it teaches. Uh, now that can be problematic for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, people just aren't in the word. They're okay with the slogan, you know, the Buzzfeed version of it. Uh, two, when it becomes, when somebody, you, you know, challenges that that's really not what the Bible says. Well, the Bible doesn't really say, you know, uh, you know, homosexuality is a sin or that divorce is wrong or that, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's the challenge you get. That person has come up with some sort of argumentation and you're so unequipped to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And so people who have not been discipled well uh, are really vulnerable to those kind of deceptions along the way. Um, and so all that to say, uh, when I think about reaching out to people or seeing some reform in the church, uh, it, just like the Reformation has to go back to the Bible. And I think there's a, a huge bridge there and it takes a long time. I mean, there's going to be people you talk to who are steeped in this stuff and maybe you can, sh- you know, show them greater truth from the scriptures and they'll never actually leave that scenario or they'll never fully become, you know, yeah. PCA or whatever, you know, denomination yeah. you are. But hopefully what you're doing is you're, you're discipling them, shepherding them towards what God's word says on certain things. And so, um, whether or not it nets to your, you know, whatever number of people, mm-hmm. um, you're at least encouraging people towards a more faithful biblical understanding of the gospel and, uh, and worship. So, yeah, man, it's really interesting. You said that about the transubstantiation and worship <laughs> thing, because I remember distinctly like almost getting upset with the pastors of the church I used to be at for getting up and preaching Like I would just, you know, I'd be like, come on, wouldn't it just be so much more spirit filled and spirit led if we just like sang like 15 more songs and just didn't do a sermon today? Like, that'd be cool. Um, Now, yeah, no, that's it's true that there the primacy is over is the experience. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I can tell you from my church experience back in college, like there, there were people there for whatever reason, uh, still around that they didn't, they weren't into that. Like they weren't into, they weren't able to, you know, raise their arms and like (laughs) give it to God kind of worship. Right. And so what does that do over time? Mm -hmm. It makes you realize, Oh, I must not be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I, I don't feel like it. Yeah. And like you were saying about, um, like when, we were talking about evangelism a little bit is the way that I had, I mean, I never got formally trained in evangelism, especially Mm -hmm. at the church I was at, but there was still um, a, a huge push to just go pray for someone or just ask someone about Jesus, you know? Um, And if you weren't doing that, then you weren't really being a true disciple of, Jesus, because that's what they did in Acts that like, you know, they were willing to go get killed. So obviously if you and your little high school aren't going and saving every single person in your high school, then what the heck are you even doing? You know? And so there's a huge pressure um, to go out and basically save the world 
through your whatever spiritual gift you think you have. And of course it's going to be apostleship or prophecy, <laughs> you know, like, uh, at least speaking in tongues, everybody's supposed to do that, right? Oh, well, yeah, but you, you don't know, do that. that uh, <laughs> even that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> right. But you don't do that in public. Well, at least where I was from, you don't do that in public. It's, it's only your, your private prayer language because yeah. then, then you can prove it. No, see, we had, uh, they had that understanding. It was your own private thing, but, uh, and they understood that you weren't supposed to do it without interpretation, which of course never happened. Uh, but <laughs> if we all did it together at the same time during a service, that would be okay. Okay. I think I, <laughs> right, I'm, like, I'm trying to get back into my, my charismatic no, brain and think like, yeah, I think I could see why they would think that way. I think it's terrible, yeah. but I, yeah. I could yeah. get it. Uh, way think, to build, build up the church by everybody doing it together at the same time, yeah, even though because first yeah. Corinthians 14, Paul says, uh, if you're, if some of you are speaking in tongues and a Gentile walks in, he'll be really confused. But if some of you are prophesying and a Gentile walks in, then he'll be encouraged or something like that. Yeah. So if everyone is just speaking in tongues, no one's going to come in and we'll <laughs> yeah, be no, happy. And if they come in, they will be weirded out. That's for sure. That's true. Uh, yeah. I'll be weirded out if I go in there now. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, did you guys ever have like flags or um, like like for dancing during worship? Yeah, or people like painting in the corner. Painting in the corner? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, no, we. Uh, I mean, there was. So once again, I was at this kind of smaller campus version mm-hmm. of our church, and in the summertime, when I was back home, I would go to the bigger one. And there was a little bit more of a community there that had some of the, you know, flag waving, tambourine ish kind of stuff. But um, mm-hmm. no, nothing super weird like like painting. <laughs> yeah, fact, we, I think they would probably say like, yep, yeah, you can't be a painter and serve the Lord. Like it would be once go back to like the evangelism, help the campus ministry kind of thing is the main goal. Yeah, we had. I distinctly remember there was one campus that because the the church I was at had seven campuses across this i think they were all a couple miles from each other um so i mean they had a pretty wide reach um but there was one where i visited a couple times just doing stuff and there was a guy just standing or sitting a cut like off on the edge of everyone else so there was like all the main seating and then he would be off on the edge and he had his little easel and he was just painting the entire time Hmm. and it was really like, strange like prophetic painting is that yeah oh yeah he'd always paint <laughs> he'd paint like the cross like every week i i don't know why but at that camp i mean there was also like a teenage girl who i remember like doing laps around hmm. the sanctuary even though it was just a gym but like shoot like sprinting laps so we had some weird stuff Really, really weird stuff. But to get back to the questions, um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you more stuff about, uh, you know, just coming from the perspective of a pastor, um, you're, you know, you've had some more time in like formal ministry than I have. So I'm going to try to ask you some stuff. Hopefully sure. we'll get some good conversation out of it. Um, so tell us about like how you would, counsel someone whether you know obviously they're not going to be a part of your church in this scenario because your church doesn't fit this uh 
picture, but say you know someone from you know your hometown or somewhere else who's considering leaving their church or thinks that their church might be involved in this word of faith or like neo-Pentecostal hyper-charismatic type of movement, you know, what would you tell that person? Would you, you have any steps that you would give them or. Yeah. That's too broad. No, I mean, I I think a lot of people uh, might notice something they might uh, in their church that, you know, raises a flag for them and, and maybe it becomes, you know, the beginning of all of this, eh, something doesn't seem right here. Now I'll, I'll say that there's a tendency in America to just leave churches for preferences all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, my first initial thought is um, most people that want to leave the church, it's probably not for significant <laughs> reasons right. and it's more for preferences and personality. And so th- I would caution people uh, against that. Um, but so I'll tell you that, so my experience was, like I said, we watched these kind of teaching videos and it was just exciting. And I thought, man, I should take these classes. And, but they talked about going to seminary, a cemetery and uh, yeah, you don't want to learn that. that. And you just become a book. Now. And really what I ended up realizing was, uh, there were things that we weren't, we weren't able to talk about. Uh, even if I was right, I'm like the number two guy mm-hmm. I'm asking him, like, Hey, have you ever you ever heard of the five points of Calvinism or something like, uh, yeah, right. And, right, and that, that's, right. that's, that'd be extreme in their scenario. But if you're realizing that there's an issue, right. Uh, your pastor, uh, is teaching on something that you see is explicitly against what the Bible teaches, right. This is where mm-hmm. we really want to get to the core. Right. And, and you in a humble way are trying to engage on, Hey, you know, you said this. And when I read the Bible, this passage and this passage kind of, and you can do that in a way that's very combative. You can also do it in a way that's faithful to uphold uh, being, you know, not divisive in the church. Uh, so being direct to the people that you need to talk to and not being uh, gossip around and, and building a little coalition of people in a church that you all are, you know, plotting against the pastor <laughs> or against the church. That's, that's the worst thing you can do. In fact, right. it, that is, that would be sinful. Um, and so, and, and see what kind of response, because I'll tell you, there are a lot of church uh, churches nowadays, they have very low bar for what you need to do to be a pastor. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if a church pastor is saying a lot of unorthodox things about the Trinity or whatever, because mm. they've never, right, they've, they've never had to work through that and, or some other issue. Right. And mm. so if it's, it's, if it's merely an, an area uh, of growth or confusion or, or a, a miscommunication, uh, you want to give people opportunity to, to provide clarity for that. Um, I, w- I would surmise that most scenarios we're talking about here, that any sort of questioning would probably uh, be not received well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that's the case, um, then you really need to realize you have to categorize how bad the situation is. So, um, you know, I was making fun of charismatic worship. 99% of churches in America probably do charismatic style worship. That's not a deal breaker, uh, just because you have a worship leader, uh, and you don't sing out of a hymnal or something. Right. I, that's not a, that's not a gospel issue. Um, and, and so you have to realize, you know, maybe you're 
overemphasizing something or you're seeing something overly critically. Now, at the same time, you know, this, the other thing is if you're part of a, any sort of substantial organization, man, the internet exists. So uh, Google it. Uh, and I'll tell you, I remember Googling uh, our, our ministry we were part of and uh, they, they had been investigated for being a cult and da, 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 oh. and they, and they had their pad answers for how it's changed since then. Right. Or that was this other guy. And, um, and so just finding some objectivity outside of your context is helpful. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our church was small. It wasn't huge at all, but it was tied to something bigger and that had, you know, different things. And that might give you just a little bit better ability to discern. Now, if you're part of a big church, I mean, if you could look up any pastor's name and you, someone's going to call him a heretic, you know, John MacArthur is a heretic and yeah. R.C. Sproul is a heretic and you know, yeah. obviously inaccurate. Um, but at least you can go out and engage with the actual substance of those uh, complaints. And so, you might feel like something's happening. You go and you do some research and you realize, oh yeah, okay, that that makes sense. That's why that's happening. Yeah. You, you're following, you know, M- Matthew 18 and going to the person and saying, hey, this is kind of what I'm feeling about this. Sounds like this is happening. Is that true? Did you, you know? And at some point, um, yeah, you just uh, are going to have to come to a decision where this is this is a gospel issue. It's something that can't be reconciled. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think for my own spiritual well-being and perhaps my family's, if you're married and have kids, uh, you're going to have to find a healthier church. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think there's a process that, if anything, I hope you're hearing uh, a lot of caution, um, yeah. a lot of self, you know, introspection to think, is this really about this or is it about something else? Uh, and then following the proper means of, of, uh, I'll tell you, I'm still friends with a lot of people from the ministry I, I left. I'm sure they say bad things about me and <laughs> in private, or at least they used to, because uh, we uh, yeah. say bad things about people who left in private when I was there. And so I'm sure that continued on. At the same time, uh, I didn't leave in such a way that was like, you know, I was protesting outside the next day. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. So just to kind of summarize like an abundance of caution and, you know, th- like we preach the gospel of grace. So we want to obviously deal with people in a gracious way. Uh, you know, definitely okay. not in like an accusatory uh, or over like a quick uh, assumptions or accusations of people. So, yeah, I mean, uh, as a pastor, I don't feel like, I do everything perfectly. Uh, I right. probably misspeak often. And uh, man, I'd hope somebody would give me the benefit of the doubt to at least ask. Right. Right. Uh, rather than go and write a blog about it or something. <laughs> right. I mean, there's just so many things that people do nowadays that are out of order uh, in terms of what the Lord calls us to do to be faithful in the midst yeah. of those kind of transitions. So, yeah. Well, that leads to the next question I've got, which is like, at what point should someone actually leave their? church and like another way to kind of ask it is like what are the signs that the church is kind of at a point of no return uh so like you had kind of hinted at it you mentioned like some of the things aren't gospel issues um and so 
obviously what's implied with that is there are some things that are gospel issues like the gospel. Um, so if they're not, if they're not teaching the gospel, that's a point where you do kind of have to leave a church and, you know, find another one. Uh, so like the church that I used to be at, I just found out this week that one of the leaders there like wholeheartedly denies the gospel, uh, and thinks it's something different. Um, he, would reject saying that it is that Christ came to die for sins. Uh, he would say it's something about the kingdom of God. And the reason for that is because Jesus was talking about the gospel before he got, before he got crucified. So obviously he wasn't talking, he wasn't just sitting like he didn't just spend three years talking about this one moment that would happen. He He was talking about, this greater grander thing. And so the the cross is just kind of the doorway into the rest of everything else, this, this kingdom life. Um, and so, yeah, with, with all that, it, I know I would personally say like from my opinion, though I'm not a pastor is that, you know, someone should leave their church if they're not teaching the gospel. Yeah, I mean, there's often like the marks of the church, often referred to uh, the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, and church discipline are like the three necessary things for a church to be a true church. Mm -hmm. So if they're preaching something that's not the Bible, uh, they're preaching you or your success or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, have a aired, not properly administering the sacraments now, that's part of what divides different denominations um, (laughs) even in the reformed world here. Right. Uh, And then church discipline, meaning like some sense of the church's authority uh, to uh, lead people, to correct people. Uh, The pastor has accountability. I mean, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Church discipline is is broader. It doesn't always have to be negative either, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Right. uh, And so, uh, so that's, that's one way that people often refer to uh, you know, what you want in a true church. I, I will tell you that, the idea of leaving a church is one that people probably make without much thought, especially about where they're going to go next. Right. Um, so especially now we're on this reform pod, you know, right now, and everybody that's listening is probably sympathetic to a reformed faith. I right. guess um, if there's not a reformed church in your town, you know, getting mad that you go to an evangelical church and, and then just, you know, leaving and sitting at home is not good for you. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not good for you to drive two hours to go to the closest, whatever semi-reformed church you can find. Semi-reformed. Yeah. You're right. You know, whatever. So this guy yeah. is, he's a Calvinist kind of maybe. Yeah. Uh, it, all that to say, uh, you have to be aware that the grass isn't always greener in some ways. I have, I have friends who've left churches and you know, they're, they're not moving. Their job is, steady they they're part of the you know the community they live in and uh and it's been a hard long difficult season to find a church that they feel like is you know bare minimum going to be a healthy place for them to serve and to mm-hmm. be involved in um uh, and so so all that to say uh <laughs> it might be a difficult process even on the back side of it but but yeah, I mean, obviously it's something like denying the gospel is going to be a significant uh, issue. Um, I- I'll tell you one example of a church in town we went and visited uh, once and 
historically this church's uh, their service was great. It was filled with you know biblical aspects, confession of sin, all these kind of things. At, to the point where when we got to the sermon, I was like, this is going to be good. And it was a story about his trip to Israel. Mm. And that was pretty much That's it. That's it. Mm. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that coming in that it wasn't going to be good. Uh, but I was, because of the historic nature of the church's service, it's it almost seemed like, Oh, maybe they're not. Maybe this isn't a liberal church. Maybe this church is going to preach the gospel. Maybe this is a holdout. Mm. Um, but then when it came to the thing that mattered most, <laughs> the, yeah. there was nothing. I mean, there was no preaching of the word. There was no proclamation of the gospel. There was no, uh, it didn't point to Christ in any way. And so, um, yeah, it was disappointing. Um, and, and so, right, that's the core. You want a church that's uh, talks about Jesus and churches can talk about Jesus in bad ways too and mm-hmm. incorrect ways. But certainly uh, at the end of the day, your church ought to be pointing you again and again and again that uh, Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves, that we're sinners and we need his forgiveness and uh, his righteousness. All that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're about. We're about reminding you of what God has done for his people through Jesus Christ and if that's not what they're about, why is it even called, calling itself a church? I just saw a video today uh, on Facebook came up on my little watch. And it was this guy. He was saying like, don't think, just do. Uh, and it was. It's terrible it, advice. It was like a TED Talk looking thing. But yeah. I was realizing the more I watched it, this is a church. Oh, my gosh. Like there's a drum set behind him, yep. in a, you know, in a cage. And I'm like, I think this is a pastor. I didn't look into it any further, but. I just realized that guy was just speaking self-help, you know, wisdom of man, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it might even be helpful stuff. Uh, so we're going through the book of Malachi right now in our church. And we just got through Malachi two, which uh, is just a rebuke of the priests. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that is rebuking them for not teaching. Well, uh, these false teachers, basically they're teaching the people that they don't have to, the law of God doesn't matter basically. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and <laughs> the name of the sermon and what the passage says is that they will have dung spread on their faces <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be thrown out of the temple, just like the dung of the offerings would be. And, and as I studied these passages, listened to other pastors, you know, it's like nothing is actually worse than false teaching in the church. Mm-hmm. It is worse than, Moral scandal it is worse than, you know, anything you can think of. If a false teacher can continue on year after year after year, proclaiming a false message to the people of God. Um, I think it was John Piper said, he's like, I, it would be, I mean, right. Terrible. If uh, I had an affair and I was thrown out of the ministry, but it would be so much worse if I was able to be here for 20 more years. Mm. The false gospel. And it's true. Like both of those are terrible things, but false teaching, teaching anything besides Christ in the church. I mean, that's, that's at the core <laughs> of, uh, of what you want to see in a church. So, so yeah, I, I think that's a, that's an issue. Most of us are probably somewhat familiar with um, what I would say to, 
beyond that is there's there's always a church culture. So there is even a church that maybe preaches the gospel well, but has a culture that is antithetical to the gospel and for your own growth. You might see it. Uh, you can see it in Reformed world definitely, and and really mm-hmm. any any sect of Christianity that um, uh, overbearing, uh, unhealthily involved, guilt shame culture. You, know, you might be able to describe penal substitutionary atonement, but you're also constantly shaming people. Uh, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Those are incongruent things, and yet that that can be the way it is. Or 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 you you have to do this. Uh, you make other things also the gospel. So you got the gospel right, but you've elevated, uh, you know, our, our church's private school or, or homeschool or, or being a Republican or whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like there are all these other things that we can like Mark Driscoll was popular when I was in college. He was part of the, part of my path into the reformed world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he always like Jesus plus nothing. Right. And and I don't know that that's always the best summary of the gospel, but the, there is a tendency in churches to uh, have these cultural things um, that get so elevated to the point where um, it becomes a second gospel or it becomes part of the gospel in a way that it perverts it as well. So, um, you know, and every church has its, you know, sacred cows and things that it probably does and emphasizes more than others. And that's okay. The real uh, test for that would be uh, if I disagree with that, will I be in trouble and whatever that looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if I was to, uh, violate the unspoken, you know, code here, uh, about some secondary third issue, um, how ostracized would I be? Uh, how much of my good standing or even my salvation be in question because I don't hold out to those things as well. And so I think a healthy church, you're going to see a diversity of people. They might not be, uh, you know, ethnically diverse or whatever, but you're going to see, you know, not everybody does exactly the same thing and has the exact same structure in their life. Um, that's, that's healthy. You want, <laughs> you know, people that have differing opinions on secondary things, uh, especially outside of, you know, theological, um, you know, central doctrines. So, so yeah, uh, so that's, that, that's one thing. I mean, church culture is a big deal uh, and you can endure a lot of, things <laughs> um mm-hmm. and no church is going to be perfect in that way but um but it, it can be really 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 unhealthy mm-hmm. now let me put uh, a hypothetical in in the conversation what if you are in a town and you the only church that's in that town is preaching a false gospel and there's no other churches so you can't be at the other at the one church in the town because it's not preaching the gospel, but there's no other churches to go to within a reasonable distance. What do you do at that point? Yeah, so a couple of things uh, that's not uncommon uh, nearby where I am, uh, small town Minnesota, small town North Dakota. You got one, maybe two churches in town. I will say though that scenario is probably pretty rare in terms of like driving distance to at least a evangelical free church or something like that, or Baptist church or what, you know, um, but, uh, that's something that people often don't even take into account when they move somewhere. So if you're going to get a job out of college or relocate with your company or whatever it looks like to move on, um, 
most people will pack up their bags and move because of the job and not think about the church until they get there. And the significance, especially if, I mean, if you're, if you're a reformed guy, yep. <laughs> right. Uh, you have probably some particular thoughts on a lot of things yep. and to go drop yourself, even in a tradition that's not, you know, it's not heretical or, you know, you're going to have to go to the Methodist church or you're going to have to go to the Lutheran church or whatever. Um, you really ought to have thought through where you're going to establish your family in a church. I think we give, uh, that is just not even on our list of things to consider. Oh, we're going to, we got a job opportunity in this area. Uh, how much does the house cost? Do they have, you know, Costco? Like we're looking at all these yeah. other things. Uh, you know, where are the parks? You know, what's a good place? They got schools for my kid or whatever. The first thing you should be doing is going to your denomination's website and saying, is there a church nearby? And if there's not, what other churches are here that, you know, seemed like we could get involved in um, because you don't want to put yourself in that scenario. So I would say I would be as radical to say if you're in a church, if you're in a scenario where you live in a town where there is actually not a church to go to and there's actually not a place to drive to that I would encourage people to consider relocating and not do home church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you ever encourage someone to maybe start a church at their, you know, mm. say they're, they've been in the town for years and years yeah. and, yeah. you know, they think that the best option is let's just start a church instead because they don't have any means to move or, uh, drive however long to the next town over for that. Church. I didn't realize you were giving me a softball church planning question. Yeah, <laughs> that was a fail there. So yeah, I think that's a, uh, that's a difficult scenario. I do think there's a, a sense of depending on the size of the town we're talking about, but if you're talking, there's only one church in town, you're talking a couple hundred people, right? Uh, planting a church that might be hard. Uh, so I do think that if there's a way for that to happen, that's, that's great. Uh, in fact, uh, there's some stories of places over in rural Minnesota where, you know, the town itself is only a couple hundred people, but it's surrounded by other small towns. And so maybe mm -hmm. the whole area is, you know, 10,000 people or something or 5,000 and a little Bible preaching church, uh, you know, hundred people, 150 people can afford to have a pastor has this great ministry. Uh, so, uh, being able to figure out how to do that, I think that's tremendous. And that's actually what we need in those towns, right? We don't need. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that's a absolutely something to be considered. Uh, are there other like-minded people here or nearby, or is there a group, you know, in the next town over or something where you can be part of establishing a gospel work there. That's absolutely best case scenario. I was being more <laughs> pessimistic, I guess. <laughs> That's <laughs> one right. of those days today, I guess. So, yeah. That's totally all right. Um, so I only really have like one question. It's not even really a super, I'm not expecting a very long answer to this one. Um, so if you have other like thoughts or um uh, anything else that you maybe wanted to talk about, um, then, you know, feel free. So th the last thing is, you know, like what are good qualities to look for in a church? Um, and you had already mentioned previously the, the three 
uh, important marks, which were gospel, uh, sacraments and discipline and discipline. Yes. Um, and I know that I also would recommend looking at stuff produced by nine marks ministries. Mm -hmm. Um, they've got a couple books out there and, you know, it's really, really helpful. They've got a website as well, which I think is kind of outdated, but, um, I mean, it's, it's still helpful in finding a church in your area because they, you know, have people assess churches and, you know, you can, you can rely on the information that they put out that if there's a church in your area that nine marks says is a good church. I mean, I've looked, I think it's run by Baptists, but I've found Presbyterian churches in my area, you know, me and my wife just moved. So we were looking for churches, um, within a driving distance and there were a couple Presbyterian churches and yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, there's a lot of resources for things like that. If you have a particular mind, uh, Nay Park is the broader collection of, uh, conservative Presbyterian reformed churches. They have a, a map. You can go to any denominationals website, but, um, no, I think if you go to a church and right, it might not be everything you, you might look at those maps and not find exactly what you want. Um, uh, what you want is, and so once again, we'll, we'll take for granted that the, their theological views that they preach the preach the gospel. Uh, they have some sense of, of a healthy uh, culture in terms of ministering the sacraments and discipling people. Uh, when, when I visit a church or when I, what I hope when people visit my church is one, uh, if they talk to leadership, uh, which in my little tiny church is me <laughs> and maybe a couple other people. Right. Um, but if you go to a church and you're, you're able to interact with whatever the leader is, if it's a huge church, probably not going to talk to the senior pastor, but if you're able to connect and talk to somebody and have positive interaction with them, that can give you some sense of the culture of the church. Um, that's going to be, a big part about how you're going to fit. Just what's, if I, can I ask questions? So that, do they know answers to the questions? I mean, I have a friend who's, he goes to a, a, a Baptist church, a converged Baptist church. And, uh, but they're so non-denominational feeling and they never talk about being converged. One of the volunteers was working the welcome desk and he's like, is this non-denominational church that somebody asked him? And he's like, yep. He goes, no man, we're Baptist. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they didn't even know, like, uh, it was just kind of a funny yeah. example, but like they know uh, there's a book called the creedal imperative by Carl Truman. I would recommend to mm-hmm. your listeners that a church has written down what it believes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you can go to a church and you should never take one sermon as the whole of what the teaching ministry is at a church. Uh, if you're going to go visit, you know, give it three months, go every week for three months, get an experience of what it's like there. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, if you want to know what they believe, they have to have written it down in a mm-hmm. succinct way that you can engage with. And some, you know, some traditions are very minimal. We only got 10 things. Well, they better be 10 good things. Uh, you better agree mm-hmm. with all those 10 things. Otherwise, it's probably not a good spot to be. Uh, but hopefully, they, uh, they also have a, a broader statement of faith that touches on a lot more things. Of course, if it's Presbyterian Reformed, uh, particular Baptist, it's going to have a mm-hmm. confession of faith and a catechism. Or if you're Lutheran, you probably have that as well. Uh, so and not only that they have those things, but that they actually uh, hold to them. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a, 
a mainline church, like a mainline Presbyterian church, they have a whole bunch of confessions of faith, including the Westminster Confession of Faith. In fact, it might be called Westminster Presbyterian Church, but they don't believe it anymore. It has no authoritative role in right. who their elders are or anything like that. It's just a historic document that they keep on the library shelf. And so, um, yeah, understanding what they believe, if they actually be- hold to those beliefs, trying to get a sense of the leadership culture of the church. I mean, to me, those are that's those are pretty basic things. And, uh, yeah, and, and find a church where you can serve, uh, the worst thing. And I think it's part of that, you know, worship style in some ways is going to church, uh, solely to be a consumer and, uh, you know, just to come, come be encouraged, come participate, come whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just come and go as you please, uh, find a church that, uh, is allows you to get involved that you can be involved in uh, that that can be hard if you don't agree with everything about the church maybe you can't get involved as deeply as you'd like but um yeah go in with a, a an attitude to serve and to be involved not merely as a participant but as uh, someone who's willing to stack chairs and show up early leave late you know whatever i think that's gonna go a long way for also helping you understand maybe some of the more nuances of that particular church so hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great stuff. Um, I can't think of any other questions than I had written down. You've got something else you want to say? Yeah. So, um, so we left this little church thing in college and I'll say there was a lot of good things about it, uh, that I can look back and say that was helpful, but you know, one of the real problems with a, with a church that's unhealthy and, and ultimately, uh, you know, you maybe have to transition out of is if they hold to, to some things that are right, people that end up leaving them will reject all of those things. Yeah. Uh, and so as I've been engaged with the you know previous friends I've had, I mean, it, I don't know how often it happens, but every once in a while, somebody will leave and they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I'm out. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It becomes yeah. just like, Hey, uh, and it's like, Oh, that's great. Uh, and, and some of those people have gone on to be atheists. Some of them have gone on to be super liberal. Uh, some of them have gone on, you know, to transition into healthy churches um, because the danger is, and it goes back to, I think to that point about making other things equal to the gospel is, well, those people believed the Bible was true. Yeah. In this fundamentalist sounding way. And that was part of this really damaging, mm. you know, experience I had. Now that I'm leaving it, I'm going to go find a church that's about something else. That's not going to say those same types of things. And it's really uh, unfortunate. And that's if they even go to another church, right? Like I said, uh, I have friends that kind of went the other way as well. And um, so there's a lot of a lot of sadness that comes through that. And that's part of what I would say is if if you are finding yourself in a church that's so you know obviously outside of the bounds of orthodoxy and uh, keep all the connections you can with your friends if they'll allow you to uh at least don't unfriend them on facebook (laughs) you know maybe you have to block them for a while because they're gonna hound you down or something but uh you're not gonna be the only one that's gonna see these things and uh, hopefully you're gonna be able to help them transition into a healthier church where they can grow and and hear the gospel so yeah, I've definitely found I've had to just stop thinking about spiritual gifts and all that. Just 
as a, not that not in any bad way, but just because it was such a important part of my faith mm-hmm. as when I was a new Christian. And now I just kind of need to reassess everything and just kind of not think about it and come back to it in a little bit. Um, and I think, I mean, depending on whatever type of church you're coming from, whatever thing they might be overemphasizing, that might yep. be, I think, maybe a healthy way of dealing with it. Maybe it's not a healthy way. <laughs> uh, just well, You'll have some church baggage moving forward, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say, is there's just things that you learn that you that aren't truth that were taught as truth, and now you have to deal with it. And so mm. sometimes people want to just not deal with it or yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have it. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. Um, I don't know if you've got any nope, other thoughts. Find a church, get plugged in, join the church, be committed to the church, encourage your pastor, uh, love the people. Uh, don't look for ways to criticize, look for ways to help and be a solution to maybe some of the problems. Um, mm you know, be a good churchman or woman, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, serve, serve there as you would serve the Lord. And so, uh, know that there's no perfect church. And, uh, even when you find it, they will still sin against you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, realize that that's part of the gospel too, is being part of a community that, uh, hopefully is growing in its ability to repent and forgive one another. Well, that wraps it up for this interview with John and it also wraps up this mini-series that we've been doing. And so, like I've been saying at the end of every episode of this mini-series, feel free to reach out if there's something that we have said that's been confusing or unsettling or anything, even if it's just an encouragement or something, just feel free to reach out. I will leave the contact information in the description of this episode. Uh, next week, we will be continuing our study through the book of Zechariah, which I have really, really enjoyed. Um And until next time, read your Bible, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen. And subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Christ in Context Pod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. If you have a question that you would like to hear answered on the show, reach out on social media or email us at christincontextpod at gmail.com. We are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and Doctrinal Discipleship. For other edifying material, check out reformedpodcasts.com and Doctrinal Discipleship either on Facebook or doctrinaldiscipleship.com.